brand new week, Meredith Monday, and we've got an exciting beginning for you. Stay with us. Chris, how's it going? It's going well, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well. Just got back from church. Just had lunch, fish and chips, too much of it, and uh, mm. feeling kind of sleepy. <laughs> I got <laughs> I got to be honest. Uh, it's it's the sleep zone, but I'm willing to power through because I got something better than coffee. In, I got Chris coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got I got the the tale of two atoms right in front of me, and uh, it's. Something that we mentioned, or you, you, we didn't uh, manage to uh, have a chat last Monday, but uh, I did a little recording anyway, and kind of mentioned that we got a covenant theology kind of plan to go through client's theology. And then as I was just saying to you, you know, just kind of after doing that podcast, it kind of dawned on me, hey, wait a minute, I'm the guy that's always telling everyone to read your book, because you're the guy distilling client's covenant theology. So... Why haven't we done that yet? Is the question. Why <laughs> we need to? So and what makes it particularly awesome is people can just go and get it. If they got money, they should buy it. If they don't, you very generously put it out there for free. So you know they can get it and read along with us, kind of like you and Todd are doing for Klein, except we're doing the oh, distilled yeah. version. <laughs> yep, this is the uh, Covenant Theology One Hundred and One. Yeah, totally. Which is great. That's great. Such a great thing. I, I bet you people are listening to this right now and super excited because that's what, you know, if you don't know anything about covenant theology, this is going to be the best intro to covenant theology ever, ever. <laughs> just nothing even going to come close to this. We're going to have it recorded. We could constantly refer you back. Not like we've planned anything. I'm relying on your preparation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, the fact that you've written a book and all. Um that's helpful. But I'm just going to bounce around on what you've said. And we've got the author with us. I mean, this is going to be incredible. And it's a distillation of client stuff. I don't know if it gets better than that, to be honest. Um, so reading through your forward, all your acknowledgments, um, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. I mean, you say it directly there. Um, your new client, very little in this book is original. The reader should consider it largely a distillation of client's written corpus and lecture material, which is great because, I mean, again, you might, you might have or, you know, a certain book from Klein or, um, you know, perhaps have, have read Kingdom Prologue even, uh, or perhaps have gone through a lecture or two, but, you know, it's just, uh, you know, you're still mostly, we're all piecing it together. And so it's great that you, you know, you set into his ministry at that level and we're able to, and are able mm. to distill from the full picture as it were. Um, which, you know, I think, and, and, you know, again, coming at this thing, you can tell by the way you write, you're concerned that people track with you, you know, which is exactly not what you get with Klein. Um, and, <laughs> and so it's just incredibly helpful, you know, if, if, so let me just take the opportunity again, we've done this before, but if you are listening in and you've been interested in covenant theology, perhaps you have, um, um, you know, just kind of dialed in for whatever reason to this uh, podcast and, and have, uh, been with us for a few episodes and if you you've heard us uh, mention covenant theology a lot of times or you think you have a grasp on it and you kind of need a refresher or whatever it is um you know th this is uh, an opportunity now this is kind of this is a perfect time to get clued up and uh, we've mentioned a lot of like 
really weird kind of debate issues with 1689 federalism and that sort of thing. But, you know, I mean, that's all kind of on this polemic spin. And it's just it, it almost depends on you first having covered this material to engage well with that. So, you know, let me encourage you to try and try and stay with us on this. Uh, and we'll do that every Monday. And uh, hopefully that'll be I'm going to take, you know, I was initially thinking, let's do a quick overview, but I'm thinking if we got your book, let's like take our time with the book. I'm not, not going to be in any rush. Um, you know, even if we get through like half a chapter, a, a podcast or something like that, that'd be good going. Sometimes less, maybe, you know, what do you think? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And it'll be fun talking about it. So totally. So in terms of acknowledgements, anything you want to say about the book, just in general, just some uh, preface comments, you know. Uh, other than that, that that they read there, or you want to underline anything? Um, I don't know what to say, really. It, I mean, the book started out as a direct critique of Norman Shepard, which you don't need to know who he is in order to understand the book. Um, the critique is still there. Uh, it's mostly in the footnotes. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, when you read the main text of the book, it should just be a uh, a positive presentation of covenant theology. Yeah, that's great. Yes, it's almost like leave the footnotes, read it through the first time, and then if you're interested, come back and read those footnotes and uh, right. get clued in on the on the historical debate there. Um, awesome, cool. All right, so hey, you you start off with um, um, quite a provocative um, statement about the gospel and covenant theology in the book. Um, which I think is great. But basically, you know, talk us through this. You, you say that um, the gospel, basically one of the big deals of the book or one of the main points of the book is that um, you want to show that covenant theology and the gospel of salvation are inseparably joined together. Um, and you also say, and you can tell you're being careful with the language here, however, if we misunderstand covenant theology and then dash, and if we're consistent with our misunderstanding, of covenant theology, right? We will misunderstand the gospel of salvation. So you're obviously trying to guard something there. And, and what is it that you're wanting to say? Or what, what do people need to get there? Um, I'm I'm trying to communicate something that I heard from Kim Riddlebarger back in my college days that people can be what he called blessedly inconsistent. Yeah, amen. and so, <laughs> um, someone like John Murray. Uh, really messed up covenant theology. But when you read him on justification, and especially um, in his little book, The Imputation of Adam's Sin, mm-hmm. um, he really nails it. Mm. So he gets the gospel, mm. um, but he really messed up covenant theology. Right. And at that moment, he's not being consistent with his own covenant theology. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And it's important as well to to keep, I mean, I suppose that's so important for all elements of um, theology and you know if you're gonna um, kind of hold people to the theoretical outworkings of their own consistency and whatnot I mean at the end of the day you you will very very quickly be the only one who's a true Christian you know or the only mm. one who, who thinks uh, that they've they've made the grade um, often Excellent. it is that way you just have so many people who have pretty way out theology but uh, the blessed inconsistency keeps them keeps them aligned. And it's probably the case for us at some level you know maybe maybe Amen. maybe you definitely not me I'm perfect <laughs> I mean, it's sometimes, it's sometimes hard to carry the burden, you know, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, look, I mean, so that's a really important point, but you know, the, the, the point you're making stands, of course, covenant theology and the gospel are huge. It's absolutely huge. I was having a conversation 
um, today with some of the guys at church. And we were talking about congruent and condign merit, just a very nerdy conversation. Um, you know, just, just, and without the category of covenant, you've got to try and figure out what Jesus did for people, you know, and how that works. And right. it just, you're left with all these weird sort of Roman Catholic paradigms and, and it all somehow becomes by, you know, it, it becomes a, a legalism by grace, you know, is what you're left with. Um, and you just aren't sure how that even works. So, it, you know, covenant theology just shows exactly why the gospel is the gospel. And hopefully we can show, bring that out um, as we move forward. Um, but then, you know, moving, uh, moving on from that, we're on to the let's, – let's go straight into that first chapter, um, which is entitled, What Are You Talking About?, um, by the way, is there is there one sort of um, are there a few editions of this book? Will everyone have the same page numbers more or less? Um, there are two editions of the book, but the page numbers should be the same between the two. Okay, cool. Um, I did some updates while I was in Ireland. Okay, awesome. So we're yeah, we'll we'll track more or less then. Um, so you you get straight into the definition of covenants, which is. Um, obviously massively important i remember the first time i read through that uh, it was super helpful because it kind of just brought together some of the things and i i remember thinking to myself like why are you spending so much time on on um on definitions and then when it comes together it's just like oh boy the whole thing stands or falls on a definition mm. of covenant it's amazing uh, so let's talk a little bit about that, and maybe that's all we'll get through. But you know, let's let's just think about. You mentioned some uh, understandings or definitions of covenant that have been um, have been uh, what do you say postulated, uh, suggested in the past, um, and they aren't sufficient. What's your criteria for figuring out what makes a good definition of covenant, and uh, why are some of the previous definitions not working? Well. One thing you want from a definition of covenant is for it to be able to account for uh, or to to be able to describe any particular covenant that you encounter in the Bible. And so if you've got a definition um, at hand and then you run into a real life covenant in the Bible and the two don't mix, well, then you probably need to go back to the drawing board and adjust your definition of covenant. Right, right. Um, so... Yeah, good. So we're looking for something that covers everything. Um, mm -hmm. And you figure that uh, some of the previous definitions don't do that. Um, just trying to track them down in the thing. For example, now they, they, uh, I'm just trying to see where you've written, Simon Page. Do you have uh, eight, page eight? Um, page eight, yeah. And uh, you say one author defines covenant as a bond in blood sovereignly administered. Is there one before that? Nope, that's the first uh, that's one. That's the first one, yeah. That's the first example. Right, so why doesn't that work? Mm -hmm. Well, part of it is uh, the sovereignly administered part um, because that really makes it difficult to talk about uh, any covenant of works anywhere because um, a covenant of works, as, as we're going to talk about it, depends on the obedience or disobedience of the human creature mm -hmm. of, you know, you, um, someone like you and I. Mm. And so if God says to his human creature, if you obey, here are the, uh, rewards or blessings that I'm going to give you. And if you disobey, here are the curses or the uh, punishments that I'm going to give you. Um, it's not a matter of God being sovereign, mm. 
um, you know, which, which way that works out. It's a matter of whether that human creature is obedient or disobedient. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, you mentioned something about Noah there. What's that all about? Um, let's see. You say, first, consider the covenant which God announced announces and makes after Noah and his family safely exit the ark in Genesis. It is not a covenant between two parties of persons. Um, it's not a covenant between God and all humanity. Um, it's not even a covenant between God and his own special people who are set apart from all other people. It's a covenant made between God and all of creation. So the second problem with this definition is that it unnecessarily restricts covenants to bonds which are unable to be broken or violated. What, what was that all about? Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, I'm not as concerned about the the blood part, but the bond um, sounds like it's just unable to be broken. Okay, got um, it. Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, ties back in with the sovereignly administered part. Right. And so, I mean, that's a, that's a great definition of the covenant of grace. Yes. Yeah, totally. But it's not covering anything that is you know, requires any obedience or is breakable mm. or that. Yeah, totally. All right, cool. Another definition, uh, you say in that last paragraph there, a, a, a divine covenant is a sovereign administration of grace and promise. Similar sort of problem, right? Exactly. And yeah. this is John Murray's Is definition. that the one? Yeah, true. Uh, okay. Yeah, wow. So that was Murray's definition. And, oh, man, you, you're not going to get any works out of that. A divine covenant no. is a sovereign administration of grace and promise. My goodness. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And that's why uh, in his writing on systematic theology, he he went back to the drawing board and wanted to um, not call the situation in the garden a covenant. Yes. So it was simply an Ad- Adamic administration, not the covenant of works. Right. Okay. So he didn't want to necessarily look at that and um and call it a covenant of grace at that point right okay so you just rather right. call it nothing at all <laughs> right it's a situation before the covenant yeah, yeah. interesting um so you go on to leviticus and um uh, leviticus twenty six fourteen uh to 20 um to show that that's important in terms of helping us come to a definition of covenant what's the deal with uh leviticus and why is that important that big scripture text that you've got listed there right so when you read some of these passages from leviticus and deuteronomy um that are the the text of the covenant that god was making with israel you have a really difficult time understanding that as a sovereign administration of grace and promise because Mm. you have god saying if you obey, I'll bless you. If you disobey, I'll curse you. Mm. Um, one of the curses is even having to eat your children. I mean, yeah, it does not sound like grace and promise at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. And yet it is a covenant, very, very clearly. And yes. so you need something that's going to encapsulate that. As you say, what's driving this? Well, I mean, it seems like a very reasonable thing to come up with a definition of something that's going to work for everything that is the thing. Otherwise, what are you doing? You know, we're just sort of, we're, we're playing around if we don't even get that, that basic uh, base right. Um, the third definition, you say, uh, describes a covenant as a divinely established relationship of union and communion between God and his people on the, uh, in the bonds of mutual love and faithfulness. Wow, that sounds touching. What's, is that one okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's a mouthful, too. It is a mouthful. Um, it's a really more like a paragraph than a definition, but still, yeah. Yeah. And um, 
I mean, for example, one of the things that this can't account for is that covenant with Noah, because as I was explaining in that paragraph that you were reading from earlier, mm-hmm. um, that covenant um, wasn't even made specifically with uh, Noah and and believers. Yeah, uh, it was, and it wasn't even made with all humanity. It was made with all of creation. Mm-mm. So, I mean, we're not going to talk about um, hippopotamuses having union and communion. Yes. Um, with God and his people and the bonds of mutual love and faithfulness. Yeah. No, we can't. No. <laughs> they forgot about no. Oh, yeah. Whose own definition is that, by the way? Oh, you got, oh that's Norman uh, Shepard. I believe. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. So I'm just trying to figure out what he's saying there. As a divinely established relationship of union and communion. So he's basically he's trying to get at the same grace idea there. Right with union and communion, it's all driven by love and faithfulness. Except the idea of grace includes the idea of being faithful. Yes. Okay. Um, so he's already bringing um, works into the definition into of the definition grace. Yeah. Well, actually, kind of a, a weird confusion of grace and works there. But yeah, it's not an accident that Shepherd was a student of Murray's and that he ended up inheriting the systematic theology chair or position from Hmm. Murray. And so, you know, Murray had defined covenant as a divinely, uh, a sovereign administration of grace and promise, which, um, left the door open for Hmm. Shepard to come in and, and do all of the stuff that he did. Murray did distinguish between the principles of works and grace or justice and grace, especially, when he talked about justification yeah. and imputation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, you're going to find, if you read Norman Shepard, he's not even comfortable talking about imputation. Right, totally. Yeah, and you can see that. Who came after um, Murray? Who was the next guy up? Was that Gaffin? No. Mm, could have been. It could very well have been. I'm okay. not positive. Yeah. Do you know how Gaffin approaches the whole thing now, in terms of just the... Does he recognize that 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 doll was left open by Murray at all? I don't think he sees it that way, but um, he he tries to walk a very fine line of um, appreciating Shepard without getting himself in trouble, you know, by endorsing what Shepard said. Yeah. So. Okay. Interesting. Because their general sort of uh, feel, I mean, I, I would imagine in, in the Philadelphia sort of faculty there is hey obviously norman shepherd i mean they kicked him out right yeah well see that's that's part of the problem here is that um both the seminary and the presbytery were split on this almost 50 50 oh i didn't know that and okay yeah so a lot of it and remained so Shepherd. yeah uh-huh. so shepherd just left to go someplace that wasn't quite as problematic or hostile but uh yeah, there was did, not a definitive. He, he ended up going into the Christian Reformed Church, huh. um, and I don't know if he taught at one of their seminaries, but he, uh, as far as I know, he may have retired now, but he was a minister in the Christian Reformed Church. Yeah, right. Okay, cool. Uh, all right. So basically, when they were kicking him, he only just he only just got kicked off, and so a lot of that that spirit, so to speak, would. Um, have remained on faculty even 
even uh, as that moved forward. Interesting. Okay. Well, that helps explain some of the Escondido controversy as well, because sometimes you get the impression, well, everyone was against Shepard, and um, why is there why is there even a rift? You know, um, mm. if they're all on the same page, but that kind of helps. Um, all right, sweet. To stay on point, though. Um, so we're moving along, trying to find a definition. Nothing's working. Is it hopeless, Chris? Is it all hopeless? Or is there a definition <laughs> that will work? <laughs> We've got a lot of bad definitions. Do we have a good one? We do, and we have to get all the way to page 18 to get that definition. <laughs> Just draw it out. Should we go straight there? Let's let's kill the pain. Yeah, let- all right. <laughs> uh, I said, if we bring all these distinct elements together, we could say that a covenant in which God is one party is an oath-sworn, legally binding relationship enforced by God. All right, so and, walk us through that. What are you thinking? Like, why does that take the so boxes? Yeah. It's broad enough to allow for both covenants of works and covenants of grace, because it doesn't say who's swearing the oath. It just says that a covenant has an oath that someone swears. Mm-hmm. And so when we actually go to apply this, we see that in covenants of works, uh, human creatures swear the oath. Mm-hmm. And we see that very clearly in Israel's situation. Mm-hmm. Um, they're there at Sinai and they said that all that the Lord has said, we will do. There's mm-hmm. their oath. Um, right. In covenants based on the principle of grace, we see that it's God who's swearing the oath. And uh, Genesis 15, where he uh, passes as the um, smoking pot between the butchered animal pieces is um, one example of, of where God swears an oath. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it's it's legally binding. So once that oath is sworn, um, there's no, oh, uh, just kidding, uh, do-overs, you know, mulligan, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. Um, no, it's, it's in force. And um, that's why, I mean... That's that's such a key because that's exactly why Jesus had to die right. on the cross. Because the covenant, um, he was the, the, at least the the, de- the very definition doesn't change. In fact, it's the definition that that carries that that moves it forward to the need for the gospel. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a little bit of cheating right there. I know you get into that later, but um, you know that that's just sort of a bit of a heads up as to why we're being such definition nerds. Because at the end of the day, like, you know, you could very, and I think you do actually, from what I remember, uh, you do say at some point, like, this all sounds very crazy technical and like we're just nerding out for like absolutely no reason trying to find you know the most scrupulous definition out there. And, you know, you could see how we come across that way. But I suppose having the full picture in view, you realize if you get this wrong, uh, you really are going to take a bad turn. Right. It will have ripple effects. Yeah, man, totally. Uh, On that note, what I'm going to do is let this roll over into Two Kingdom Tuesday. Stay with me, Chris, and stay with us if you're interested in this. Uh, Typically, it'll be a Monday discussion, but just to kick us off, let's go into Tuesday. Bless you guys. See you tomorrow.